0: Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we do praise you all the day long. And we thank you for the word that you have given us, the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are uplifted evermore in praising you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we talked about uncompromising faith, about drawing a line in the sand. And there were a number of people that talked to me that said that was a pretty powerful uh, metaphor, a pretty powerful example about drawing a line in the sand. And people shared with me some examples of how they had or even were drawing a line in the sand on various topics including faith. And I recounted a number of stories last week about people who drew a line in the sand. There was one fellow, uh, Byron Tanner Cross, who was that teacher at Leesburg Elementary School in Leesburg, Virginia. I had said and mentioned that he, on uh, May 25th, so not many weeks ago, right? May 25th, he stood up during a public meeting and said that he could not use any gender that any student ever wanted because it went against his religious beliefs and that he was suspended because of that. Do you recall that? So I do have an update. Through legal action and other parents rising up, he was reinstated, which is really good news, right? But the battle, if you've been reading the headlines, the battle continues on. So here's my question, though. Where did that teacher get the courage of his convictions to be able to stand up and speak like that? I mean, where do any of you get that courage of your conviction, especially when it comes to faith, to be able to stand up and say things? I mean, we take a look at the martyrs throughout history who stood up under the penalty of death and still said, here I stand, I can do no other. Where does that come from? I believe it comes from having a certainty of who God is, a certainty of Jesus Christ and his cross. They are sure of this unto death. This is why Paul could write to Timothy in 2 Timothy, but I am not ashamed. For I, know whom I have belie- for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says, it's not because of my own strength, but of he whom has saved me, that I have faith in Christ Jesus, and he will carry me through unto that day. See, the deeper you know God, the deeper you know Jesus Christ and his cross, the greater your faith will be. That's why our mission statement, right? To grow alive, to grow deep, and then to grow bold. You can't be bold without first being alive in Christ Jesus. You can't be bold without first standing on the bedrock of your faith. See, the more you stand on the bedrock of your faith, the more you will have the courage of your convictions. And what is faith? Faith is nothing but to trust. To trust that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he really went to the cross, died, and rose again. That is our faith. That is in what we trust. And when you stand on the bedrock of your faith... You become unmovable because the bedrock is unmovable. And when I say bedrock, you know what we mean when we say bedrock? It is the rock that which you drill down to that does not move. So when they build all the bridges and all the buildings, they've got to get down to the bedrock. That does not move. Lighthouses are built on bedrock so they don't move. So they can shine brightly no matter the conditions, no matter the storms, no matter the gales. So let's refine this even a little bit more. The more you stand on the bedrock of God and His Word, of Jesus Christ and His cross, the more of a lighthouse you will be. So when you stand firm on Him and Christ Jesus and His cross and His Word, you'll be a lighthouse to others. Conversely, the less you stand on his word, the less that the cross is important in your life, the less of a light you will be unto others. So this morning, we're going to continue in our series here, Being a Lighthouse, Uncompromising Faith, part two in Daniel. And I think you're going to find something different this morning because we are going to look at prayer the necessity of prayer, the power of prayer, the praise of prayer. It is about prayer this morning. So let me give you a little context before we get into it, because we're going to jump into the middle of chapter 2, so i got to set some context here. So King Nebuchadnezzar was having a dream. It seems to be a reoccurring dream, but this dream really bothered him. Now, there's some dreams that you have that reoccur. You kind of go, yeah, yeah, whatever. You might be anxious about something that's coming up. But his dream was more than that. It had import to it. He wanted to find out what it meant because it was bothering him so much. So he called all the wise men of his court, he called all of the enchanters, the sorcerers, the magicians to tell him what his dream meant. But here's the catch. He wouldn't tell him what the dream was. He said, you got to interpret the dream for me, but I'm not going to even tell you what the dream is. You've got to be able to even figure that out. And all of the wise men of his court said basically this no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not in the flesh. I mean, this is pretty important. They're acknowledging that no human being, apart from the work of gods in the Babylonian sense, can discern even what the dream was, let alone interpret the dream. So they acknowledge that something must come from outside of them. But the Babylonian gods, remember there were a lot of Babylonian gods, were silent. Because what were the Babylonian gods made of? Wood, stone, metal. They cannot speak whatsoever. And look, it's not much different than today. I bet you know friends who've had reoccurring dreams, and they've gone to psychics or mediums or people who are reading their horoscopes. By the way, if you are reading your horoscope, drop it like a cold stone right now because it cannot tell you anything. It's the same as the Babylonian gods right now. It is silent. The only power, the only wisdom, the only truth and salvation come comes from God who is in heaven, the one true God. So, King Nebuchadnezzar heard from all of his wise men that they couldn't do anything. So, like the Queen of Hearts and Alice in Wonderland, off with their heads! He said, they are going to be killed. And this included Daniel and the three others because they were included in this circle. Well, Daniel finds out about this, and he says hey, I want an appointment with the king. And then he goes back to tell his friends the news that he made an appointment with the king to tell about a dream that the king would even tell about, to interpret that dream. Okay, so now we're going to... That's the context. So now we're going to pick it up. The power of prayer. Daniel chapter 2, starting with verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, And Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So Daniel tells his friends what's going on, and I'm pretty sure they had a big knot in their stomach regarding this. Basically, you you did what, Daniel? You're going to interpret a dream that you don't even know what the dream is? And Daniel's, hold on. Let's seek the God, let's seek wisdom from the God of mercy. God who is in heaven. Let's seek his mercy. And so what did they do? They prayed. When times are desperate, right? You get down on your knees and you pray. But this is going to be important. To whom did they pray? To whom do you pray? See, in our culture right now, there are a lot of people who say, I'm spiritual, not religious. As a matter of fact, a lot of the millennials will say something like this. Hey, just throw out a prayer to the universe for me. As if the universe can do anything. Other people will You know, pray to an altar of Buddha. Pray to an altar of something else, just like the Babylonians would pray to their gods. A lot of people believe in God in general, but not a very specific God. By the way, this is not a new problem. Paul had to deal with this with the uh, Athenians. Acts chapter 17 Paul says this, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious, that would be the spiritual but not religious aspect, you are religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So look, even the Athenians had a a temple to an unknown God. But Daniel prays to who? Daniel prays to the God of heaven. Now, the God of heaven is a term used in the Old Testament... And it is used very much so when the people were in exile. So if they're in exile, times are hard. Things are desperate. So they want to pray to the God who is sovereign over everything, just like Paul was explaining to the Athenians. As a matter of fact, there's a wonderful prayer at the beginning of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 says this. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for all the people of Israel, your servants. This is a very powerful prayer. And when you picture Nehemiah, when you picture Daniel and the others praying, I don't know about you, but I picture them on their knees. I believe that the most powerful prayers begin on one's knees. Why is that? Because you come humbly, before the Lord. The most powerful prayers come on your knees because you come before the very throne of God, knowing that He alone is sovereign over everything. He is all-powerful, and you are there humbled before Him. The most powerful prayers are happening on your knees because you know you can come before the very throne of God. That he is not some distant God, he is a present God. That he is not unknowable, he is knowable. He is intimate. He knows you personally. And he cares for you very, very deeply. And he is merciful and steadfast throughout the ages. The most powerful prayers are on your knees. Because then you're on the very bedrock of God. Your faith rest on him and him alone. And when you are resting on God and God alone, you also know that God in his mercy has given us a savior, Jesus Christ. And Christ Jesus is our bedrock. He is present. He is not distance. He is full of grace. He is merciful. He cares for you greatly. He loves you greatly. That's why we're going to sing the song later on, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It goes, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. The most powerful prayers are when you're on your knees, praying to God because you're on the bedrock. You see, Daniel and the others and the great people of faith throughout the ages don't pray just when things are bad. They pray throughout. And so Daniel and the others were practiced in their prayer. It wasn't just a Sunday-only sort of thing. It wasn't just that the pastor only could pray. They prayed themselves morning day and night especially when you take a look at the bat, look at the book of Daniel there are wonderful prayers throughout the book and even when there's persecution he leaves his window open right so people can see that he indeed is praying to the one true god in heaven see that prayer and practicing prayer strengthens your relationship with god when times are tough and you need to pray, if you are practiced in your prayer, you have that direct connection. You may not know exactly what to pray, but you are there. I have to tell you, as, as we have grown and we have been changing, uh, it, it's a busy time for me. It's even busier than normal. But I've been trying to take time at the altar here in the morning just on my hands and knees before the Lord. And sometimes I don't even say anything. But I'm there spending time with Him. This is what Jesus did, right? When the disciples were looking for Him, He had gone out to pray. The Son of God, God Himself, was there praying with the Father, being in relationship with Him. It is a practice that we are to do. And so this powerful prayer that Daniel and the others had was answered. And God gave Daniel in a vision that night. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So now there's a praise of prayer. Daniel answered them and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Here, Daniel blesses the name of God. Blessed be the name of God forever. Now, that this isn't the sense of that Daniel is greater than God, so Daniel is blessing God in that respect. The, the word here in blessed actually, a better sense would be praised, and Daniel praised the name of God. And to say the name of God is to be praised is to say that his very person should be praised. So when you're praising the name of God, you are praising his very person. You know, we covered that a little bit last week, and I talked about the word Adonai, which means power, might, ruler, sovereign over all, the Lord Adonai. I like how one person put it. When we study the names of God that he reveals to us in the Bible, we will better understand who God really is. The meaning behind God's names names reveal the central personality and the nature of the one who bears them. And so the question is, who is God to you? So the author goes on, we must not We must be careful not to make God into an it or thing into which we pray, which is kind of really easy to do sometimes, isn't it? We pray to God, it, whoever that is. That's almost like the millennials in a way of just throwing it out to God. But now we know God in a personal manner. And when we study the names of God, we get to know him. I like what the author said. God knows us by our name, should we know him by his? So, when you take a look at the Old Testament, here's a couple names for God. I'm not going to do the Hebrew, just the English translation. There's Yahweh, which is the covenant name, I am, Lord God Almighty, the Most High God, Adonai, Lord or Master, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord that heals, the Lord our righteousness the Lord who sanctifies you, the everlasting God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord will provide. The Lord is our peace. These are the names, the fullness of God. And when you start to look at the fullness of God, you know him in a more intimate, a more powerful manner. You stand firmer on that bedrock, So who is God to you? When you pray to God, who is God? It might be useful to go through and pray the names of God in some of your prayers. And when you pray the name of God, you are praising his name. You are hallowing his name. Just like we have in the Our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So hallowed be your name. To hallow the name of God is to regard him with complete devotion and loving admiration. So this is when you come and praise the name of the Lord. It is hallowing his name of love, of devoting to him. The author says, God's name is of the utmost importance. Therefore, we ought to reserve it to a position of grave significance In our minds and hearts. You know, the Hallelujah chorus, right? Handles Messiah. It's often sung during Christmas. It's actually an Easter song, believe it or not. And the tradition is what is the tradition during the chorus of the the Messiah? Hallelujah chorus. What do you do? You stand up, right? That's the tradition. It goes all the way back to the very first performance. The story is, and it's a little hard to tell exactly the story, but the story is when the king heard these words sung, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He stood up because there was the name of God, the Lord God omnipotent, and he reigns. And so the king stood and the whole crowd stood because there was the name of God, hallowed be your name. You see, powerful prayer is praising the name of God and knowing that everything comes from him and him alone. Daniel says, from him come belongs wisdom and might. Wisdom. Now, it's pretty interesting. In preparing for this message... I I went back to our Bible study two times regarding uh, Ecclesiastes. So we're studying Ecclesiastes, and it's written by Solomon, who is the wisest king of all, right? Wisdom beyond anyone else. And yet, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he is methodically and brutally in some terms just knocking out leg after leg after leg after leg of people trying to stand on their own wisdom, earthly wisdom. And he says, I tried all of that and it's vanity, a chasing after the wind. Where does wisdom actually come from? Now, it's actually in Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To understand who God is, that's the beginning of wisdom. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111, verse 10. So we find wisdom in God. Now, God in the New Testament revealed his wisdom to us in a person. Who is the person? This is Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul, in his letter to 1 Corinthians, says this, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ and his cross are our wisdom. So in your prayer, if you are seeking wisdom, Go to the foot of the cross. Sit at the foot of the cross for a while. Seek his wisdom. And you will find it. He will grant it to you at the foot of the cross. Now, Daniel goes on. He says, not not only wisdom, but might. Might. It says, he changes times and seasons, and he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So again, in our study of Ecclesiastes chapter three, there's actually uh, verses in there that were made into a song. It was originally done by Pete Singer and then made into a very popular song by the birds. And I know you heard it growing up. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, right? That scripture actually put to a song. So let me just read to, read it to you. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. See, what's written in Ecclesiastes here, which was put into a song, which is pretty wonderful if you think about it, that God's word went out throughout the world in a song. What Solomon is writing about is basically the same thing that Daniel is praising God for, that he is sovereign over everything. See, powerful prayer acknowledges the power and wisdom of God, that there is a divine purpose for everything. For everything, there is a season. Even if we can't understand it, even if sometimes we disagree with God's timing, God is sovereign over everything. There's nothing outside of his control. So that includes all rulers, right? includes all presidents, whether you like this president or not, whether you liked President Trump or not, nothing was outside the purview of God. Paul wrote, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So there are things that are hidden from us, that remain a mystery here on this earth, and yet we trust God in his timing in all things. Verse 22 from Daniel's our reading, says, He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with him. God knows exactly how dark various parts of the world are. He knows how dark the human heart is and yet he shines the light of Christ Jesus into this world Christ being the light of this world and he has given us this light and he reveals to us what we need to be re- what we need to be revealed at the right time and the right place so i hope you can start to understand now How powerful prayer is and the necessity of prayer. And he is praising God in this prayer. I also want you to understand that praising prayer is intimate prayer. Prayer is intimate. Daniel says to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and now have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matters. Daniel says, O God of my fathers. Now instead of God of heaven, God of my fathers. The family relationship. There's an intimacy involved right then and there. And then Jesus tells us, He is your Father who is in heaven. And so we have a wonderful prayer coming up, don't we? Later on when we do the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. So Daniel is praying with the others. He has received this insight. And then he's moved to action. Prayer moves you to action. Did you notice in the Gospel reading, Jesus spent time in prayer, and then what did, he do? what did he do? He went to work, didn't he? See, if you are praying, if you are praying about a situation and God is giving you wisdom and insight, then it's time to get to work. So with, with Daniel, he didn't say, hey, God, thank you for the insight. I'm going to go my way now. No, he actually went to do the work that was given. It says this, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, to whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show, you the, I will show the king the interpretation. So we kind of come to the end of it. But we end where we began because I talked about what brings you the courage of your convictions to be able to stand, to be able to make a line in the sand, to be able to speak up. is knowing the certainty of who God is. God revealed himself to Daniel. He was certain. There was no doubt. And so thus he went to do what looked to be impossible to others and actually was impossible for others when you spend the time at the cross and you know Christ Jesus, not just as a far-off Savior, but one who's right here with you, one who's all-powerful, knows you intimately, forgives sins, carries you when you are weak. When you are sure of that, you stand on the bedrock of your faith because you are standing on Christ Jesus and his cross. And when you do that, you know what happens? You become bold. You become a light to others. You become that lighthouse. So a couple of questions for you today. Are you standing on the bedrock of God and his word? See, the more you are in his word, by the way, the more you will be sure of your faith. Are you in prayer to God? Do you know him by name? Again, go back through. Read some of the names of God. And when was the last time you were at the foot of the cross seeking his wisdom? Let's pray. Gracious God, heavenly Father, almighty God and merciful God, God who is in heaven and reigns over everything, Oh, we thank you. We thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for carrying us through. Work in us ever greater faith, trusting ever more. Christ Jesus, the cross, and the gospel. Draw us to you as only you can. Help us to be bold in our faith. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm